Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. John Reed is president at JM Reed Group, a consulting and training firm that focuses on creating relevant and engaging learning experiences to drive desired behavior change. And that's one of the things that I know I will love about our conversation, because when we think about being brave at work, one of the outcomes we're looking for is to help somebody else modify their behavior so that they can be more effective. And for some reason, in most workplaces, for a number of reasons, actually, we avoid it or don't do it, and we don't help other people be more effective. John's firm maintains a network of highly skilled consultants which provide both scale and additional content expertise. So again, I'm so excited to be speaking with you. Welcome, John. Thank you, Ed. Great to be here. We are thrilled that you're here. I did a light intro for you, and I know our listeners would love to know a little bit more about your organization and how you interact in the marketplace. What can you tell us about your work and what you do? We've been around 12 years, and we really started after I had spent some time both in industry and then in the training development industry. And what I noticed was that there was an emphasis on content models and that people believed that the model was the answer or the content was the answer. And if you have that belief system, of course, you fall into this intellectual property trap and that the person in front of the room knows more than you do. Uh, And if you just follow the model, all will be well. And I thought all of that was insufficient and sort of wrongheaded. And so we've taken a different approach. We believe context is king. The context matters that from the participant point of view, it's, is this stuff relevant to me? Does this under people understand our, our world? Uh, the second thing is there's wisdom in the room. People are smart. They show up, they have jobs. And so we ought to respect them a little bit more than we do. And finally, engagement matter, design matters. Um, again, most people in training development space talk about content models, but they de-emphasize design, but design is sort of the, the secret sauce that either makes it stick or doesn't make it stick. So we started with those three pillars. Uh, we've been successful for 12 years uh, with uh, across industries, across the globe, doing work in leadership, sales, culture, um, and we're really proud of the work that we, we get to do with our clients. Well, fantastic. And I love the three things that you just shared, context, 
wisdom in the room. I have always been a big believer that everybody that I, I talk to actually has all the answers. They just haven't had a way to get them out and organize them. And so I always tell people, you're going to share all the answers today. It won't be me. And also that contact you know, design matters, that how you design it can be even more effective sometimes and specifically what it is that you might be you know, talking about. But I'd love to go back to this word context because I'm a huge fan of context. And to me, context is you know, establishing the reason and the outcome of why we're here before we even start talking about why we're here. But I'd love to hear more from you as to you know, what context means and why that's such an important part of the work that you do with your clients. I think I think con, you know context is king, and therefore everything happens in context. So in context of the strategy, in context of the culture, in context of the level of the organization. So at every level, for example, people need to be able to motivate people. But it looks different from a senior leader to a mid-level leader to a frontline leader. Uh, so that's you know the leadership levels have it's the same skill, but it's in the context of that role. Same thing for uh, any kind of strategy, uh, culture, that if you want these behaviors, how do these behaviors show up against the strategy? What are the, what are the winning behaviors in the strategy? So I've always felt that, you know, I'm sort of model agnostic. I like models and I like the models I create. And I think I create some really great models, but I don't think they're the answer. And I don't want people to engage with me because they go, oh, there's the model we've been looking for. I'd rather have them engage with us because they say, wow, you really care about us and far less about your model. And it's hard to do, right? Because we love our models. <laughs> we do. We, it does we, take a lot of uh, you know, interpersonal strength to, to, to say, okay, the models are not the answer. As much as I love them, it, it is about these other things. Well, I think any great consultant always shows up with a two by two square model about something, yes, regardless of what that might be. But, you know, when I think about bravery at work, I think people really create a context that is under helpful, that they create reasons why not to speak to somebody or, uh, you know, what the impact will be if I do say something to somebody else. So, you know, what's a good way or if you can share a couple of ideas for our listeners that you can create a positive context. Uh, context to ensure that you realize that what you want to say to somebody that requires bravery is good and beneficial versus bad and negative? Well, it's a, it's a big question, right? And there's lots of skills you can learn around that. But the under, you know, all of our skills and all of our behaviors are driven by a belief system. And some of that belief system is self-defeating, as, as you're kind of alluding to. Also, some of that is, I think, fundamental to a lot of uh, what's happening is that we make the wrong risk-benefit calculation. We just do it all the time. And that's because, you know, we're, we're, we're risk-averse and the negativity bias. But we often think, geez, if I speak up, look at all the risk I take. But we don't realize the payoff if I do or the value if I do. We undervalue that. And so we often have people just explore that. What are you trading when you do this? What are you, what are you not getting? Uh, and what do you risk not gaining, if you will? And so there's, there comes an exploration where people realize that, you know, being authentic, you know, if I'm authentic, they're authentic, whether it's the Pygmalion effect or the social exchange theory, whatever theory you like. If I can be my authentic self, it's a gift to the other person because that enables them to be authentic. If I can be curious and ask questions that people don't ask because they think they already should know. But if I'm vulnerable, as Brene Brown would point out, which is behind a lot of this as well, you know, other people will be. So there is a gift of letting people go second by demonstrating it yourself. 
And if you set that context, particularly as a leader, you get the best from people because they get to show up as their authentic, you know, real self and bring their best version of themselves to work. Well, I don't think that you're a psychologist <laughs> and I'm not a psychologist, but I'm just wondering, why do you think people make more often than not, I believe, bad risk benefit calculations? The likelihood of you saying something that can be helpful to somebody else is low because of the concerns or issues that you create that might come from this type of conversation. So why do you think we err on the side of avoidance versus erring on the side of helpfulness? Oh, there's so many, right? There's, there's, there's so many stories we can tell ourselves. One, and can I really be helpful? Do I, is my advice any good? There's that whole sort of genre of behavior. The other one is this person won't listen to me anyway. They'll discount it. They won't value it. So the third is I'm not very good at it. I don't know how to give advice effectively. I really haven't practiced it a lot. So I'm going to avoid things I'm not good at. And telling somebody who I work with you know, what they should be doing differently is not something I really have a lot of practice at or excel at. So I'll just avoid it. And there's just the cultural stuff, you know, mind your own business, stay in your lane. Um, don't rock the boat. I mean, there's so many messages that we get after childhood that tells us, you know, don't be curious, don't be authentic, don't be playful, don't be even compassion, right? Which is a nice, uh, you know, don't be compassionate because if you go help them out, they're going to want help in the future. And you know what that's like. So there's all these risks that, uh, that we see in, the, in doing the right thing. Um, and some are real and some are imagined. I mean, they're, they're, and so it's fun to get adults in a room and explore that, right? Have that conversation because unless you get that right, Unless you get the underlying mindset belief system right, um, you're never going to get people to do the skill and the behavior. Well, I love the observations about our culture because as you're saying things like stay in your lane and uh, don't jump out of your sandbox. And, you know, I'm thinking about things like finish your dinner on your plate and don't talk back to your father. Right. We right. structure ourselves to conform to certain ways of behaving that are opposite and oftentimes to what we need in the workplace. So we grow up and don't learn how to be brave and learn how to conform or be respectful, which I think you always have to be respectful, but you can be honest and respectful with somebody to share with them an observation you have that they need to hear in order to be more effective in the workplace. So I don't know. It's just interesting how we err on that side versus, you know, I'm trying to think of clever quotes about being a nonconformist and being honest and I'm sure they're out there, but they're not popping into my head as easily as the ones you said earlier. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. When I look at my career and I get to now experience pretty senior level people in different organizations, you know, what I see are a lot of individuals who are curious, who are authentic, who are themselves, you know, and they sort of, you know, self-actualize to that level. And I think we don't see enough of that or people don't see it. And they're stuck in sort of this area where, no, they, they don't see enough of that behavior, that enough of that modeled. And so they think it's risky. But I'm, I would strongly encourage your audience, no, there's, that's, that's where you shine. That's where you differentiate. That's where you're most satisfied. It's all good if you can figure out how to tap back into that stuff and be brave around that stuff. Well, those people who are like that, who are curious and as I always tell our listeners, respectfully curious, right? This isn't hitting somebody across the head with a two by four, but this is being respectfully curious or respectfully creative. Uh, you know, I'll just use this phrase. I don't mean it personally, are oddballs at a meeting, right? It's, <laughs> you know, everybody else is conforming 
and don't want to ask a question because they're afraid they should already know the answer or don't want to be disruptive or don't want to take over the agenda. Uh, And the ones that are doing what you're describing just seem to be few and far between when it should be opposite. Yeah, it should be opposite because, you know, up to age five, we were wildly curious. My gosh, we were curiosity machines. We were, you know, R&D centers uh, for ourselves. And so we were wired to be curious, but a lot of stuff comes along uh, and shuts it down and, and, you know, makes us want to conform. But if you're genuine, I, I call it, you call it respectful. I'm just genuinely curious, genuine meaning. I really want to know this. I'm not asking the to shame you. I'm not asking you to put you on the spot. I'm not asking you to prove you wrong. I'm asking because I'm genuinely curious. Uh, and so if I'm, if that's my, if my intent is that, and my intent is clear, then I'm in a really good place by asking questions. And I talk about the word respect because this is a newer type concept that we're doing on this podcast and speaking with people like yourself. And I don't, you know, most people, when they hear the word bravery at work or conflict have somewhat of a weighty negative uh, relationship with it. And I think that's cultural that we have created that. So I just stress that uh, it is very possible to engage in conflict and have a a healthy debate with somebody. And it's very possible to be brave at work and tell somebody something that may be hard for them to hear as long as you are respectful. Because if you're not respectful, the behavior you're demonstrating may be more leading to that other person than what it is you're trying to say. Hey, don't talk to me that way. I don't care what it is you have to say, but you know, if you're going to talk to me, be respectful about it. So I just stress it because I think it's a, a good platform to work from. No, I, I agree. Uh, one thing, like, for example, I talk about belief system. Now, our, my belief system and the belief system of the people that work with me and for me, you know, candor is a compliment. And sometimes with adults in a workshop, we might say, why is that? Well, if I'm not candid to you, what am I saying? And people quickly realize, yeah, if I'm not candid, I'm saying you're not worthy. You can't handle it. You're too sensitive. You can never change. I mean, nothing good comes if I start to explore why I'm not being candid with somebody or honest. So candor clearly is a compliment. So again, belief system, if I believe candor is a compliment, then that almost compels me to tell you the truth. But as you point out in a respectful way. Well, and it just, I think is fascinating when you think about our culture because candor, conflict, bravery, all to me are weighty words. And by weighty, I mean that people have a negative or uh, unclear relationship with it to the extent that if I wanted to be candid with you, oftentimes I have to ask, hey, can I be candid with you for a moment? <laughs> as if I'm about, again, to hit you over the head with a two by four. And all I want to do is tell you something that I just experienced that I think you should know that uh, would be helpful for you in future conversations, which shouldn't be weighty and heavy, right? I, I pray that people will be candid with me and say, hey, Ed, can I give you some feedback on what I experience as I listen to your podcast so that you're aware of it, right? I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just trying to share something with you that would be helpful. And so these all, John, dance around uh, being brave at work, right? It's the potential for engaging in conflict. It's the potential for being candid that seems so important, yet non-existent, and I'm being melodramatic, but just don't exist to the degree that they should in workplaces. Yeah. So when you do it, when you exhibit it, it's just, it's joyful for the other people because <laughs> it allows them to be themselves. It can be. If somebody's willing to just say, hey, I don't understand what's going on here, that can free up others from saying, yeah, I'm with I'm with John or I'm with he and him or her, they, whatever. But you know, they, that allows other people then to lean into their brave selves. So it is 
you know, it is this snowball effect if you get it going right. Well, part of the message I read when I opened our podcast is that your organization focuses on helping people, you know, modify or become more self-aware about their behavior. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, what that type of work is and maybe even share a couple of ideas on how a person can help somebody else be aware of behavior that they should be aware of and think about doing a little bit differently? Another big question, I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. I'll, I'll give you some examples of how we approach things differently. And we're very learner-centric. So we're a training and development company. We do anything around learning and development, anything that's driving behavior change. And not only classroom training, but consulting around it because everything happens in a system. So what are the barriers and enablers that are going to be able to have this behavior take, take hold? Uh, a great example of just you know, how we go about that philosophically is if you think about accountability, now, accountability is taught by a bunch of different companies. But when I think about accountability, where I go is, and this is the way we design everything, I go, well, who is the learner? What does the learner think? Even the best of the learner, what do they think? Well, they think they're accountable. And so I think it's Epictetus, probably pronounced that wrong. He said, you can't teach a man something they think they already know. So, you know, how are we going to teach accountability to people? They think they know it. They think they are. And trust, and you just can, you know, lay on topic after topic that people struggle with, uh, so I, so what we do, so how do you do it? So we do it by giving people a scenario where they evaluate a performance. And the performance, uh, the, the first part of the performance is a clear metric and the person didn't achieve it. And then they unfold and get different data. It's like origami. And I designed this thing where they unfold, they get additional data. And as they get additional data, they can rescore their evaluation. They can reconsider their evaluation. And what happens is after every round, we have a group of 20 leaders. We look at what happens. And, you know, the majority of leaders who first rated this person's performance as a one, meaning they didn't get it done because they didn't get the task done. Eventually, we have an organization where people are all over the map. Some people have them a two, a three, a four, a five. So we have, we have the rainbow of ratings. So the first problem is here we are a company. We want to pull people accountable. But if I work for, you know, you, Ed, I'm a five. But I work for John, I'm a one. And it's the same behavior. So we don't even agree. So no wonder we all think we're accountable. We don't have a common definition. And the, defini the definition we're using, of course, fits us. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so what is the right definition? Well, as you unpeel it, what people have succumbed to is confusing the other things I've put in this design. You know, they tried really hard. It's the first time anybody's done it. They reached out. There was a meeting canceled. I mean, it's all excuses. But the participants don't know that at this point. Uh, what we say is those of you who moved, why did you move? And we create a flip chart list. And then we say, what should we title this list? And they say excuses. So the learner themselves figures it all out. I've just given them a container. And there's no trick because, frankly, they could have rated the person a one or two, which is low, the whole time. But I'm relying on human nature and I'm relying on my belief about my interactions with participants that they will, you know, start to give weight to these other things. And not that these other things aren't important and not that I'm saying this person should be fired. But what we are trying to say is you have a gap in performance and you have to be honest with people. And if you, you know, this person's not going to get better and eventually in their career, they could lose their job all because you didn't want to tell the truth. You know, shame on you. Right. <laughs> so, right. so, you know, it's, it's candor's a compliment. It's brave. So time and again, whatever the topic is, we try to emerge, uh, Immerse quickly the participant in a scenario that's fair, that they get to make a conscious choice. And the conscious choice they make typically is good. 
It's not like you're doing bad. It's like, okay, that's good. That's, you're not going to get fired for doing that. But what would great look like? Uh, we design for middle to high performers. We design for where we think most of the lift in organizations is. That, we don't care about low performers, but low performance has a lot of other things that may be going on uh, in terms of fit, in terms of other things. But middle to high performers, like you would coach middle and high performers in coaching, we want to design to them. And they're probably doing good. And they probably don't know what grade is. And so, you know, we're meeting them where they are and just moving them along. And so it becomes a, a really rich experience and it sticks. It tends to stick, I believe, because we do a lot less talking. There's, right, a, right. there's an expression I have to share with, you know, people remember what they say, not what you say. So you know, how do you get them to say it? Right. Right. Well, fantastic that you do that work. And two lessons that I'd like to leave with our listeners today. One is context is king. So how do you think about being brave at work as a way of helping versus avoiding it? And that's the context you have to approach this work with is you have to think about uh, where am I coming from? And of course, I'm coming from a place of helpfulness. And how do I ensure the other person is aware of that so they will feel helped? And then the second lesson, which I think is fantastic, is that candor is a compliment, right? That being honest with somebody, always respectfully and curious with them is a compliment to them, not an insult or a judgment to them. So, John, thank you so much for your time this morning. I think some great lessons for our listeners. And if folks want to hear more about you and the organization you work for, where can they go or how can they get in touch with you? Well, a couple of things. First of all, we do have a new book coming out, which I think your audience would love. It's it's released in September. It's the five lost superpowers, why we lose them and how to get them back. These are the five lost superpowers children have that they lose. And I've referred to a couple of them here, uh, but it, they all have to do with bravery. You know, being compassionate, have to be brave, authentic, brave, playful, brave, curiosity, brave, resilience even. So those are the five and you get to read more about them, what happened to them and then what do you need to do? So there's a real practical aspect to that book. But in terms of John Reed, JM Reed Group, or www.jmreegroup.com, uh, we're available. And uh, my personal email is john at jmreegroup, J-M-R-E-I-D group.com. And I'm happy to hear from people and uh, provide any help that I can. So thank you. Again, thank you, Ed, for taking the time to talk to me this morning. Absolutely. And the book sounds fantastic. So I am a big believer that we start out uh, when we are children with certain skills and capabilities that the world makes us lose. Right? Right. And, and now <laughs> once we get back to the workplace, we need them back again. So yeah, that's the whole premise of the book. And we've got all the research to back it up and what to do about it. Well, fantastic, John. Well, thanks again for speaking with us. All right. Thank you, Ed. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. And we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and our download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Capit Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at capitrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.